Take your copy of God's Word and open it with me this morning to the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in chapter 7, and we're going to read various verses from Isaiah chapter 7 and 8. We'll start in chapter 7, verse 1 in just a moment. This world around us is desperately looking for hope. And one of the things that I believe we've seen in recent years, but especially during the pandemic, is a growing sense of hopelessness. That is especially true amongst our youth. I don't know if you were paying attention, but if you noticed the Surgeon General of the United States issued a very troubling report this past Tuesday. And I want to read to you what he said. Remember, this was just five days ago. He said, quote, even before the pandemic, an alarming number of young people struggled with feelings of hopelessness, depression, and thoughts of suicide. And rates have increased over the past decade. How much have they increased? Well, he gave numerous examples. He said that the number of high school students experiencing feelings of hopelessness was up 40%. And he said that suicide rates are up 57%. The world around us can see that there is a problem. But the world does not offer a solution. The world doesn't have any hope. That's where we come in. We believe there is hope because 2,000 years ago, hope was born in Bethlehem's manger. In other words, we can have hope today because of the child who was born, and we can have hope because of what his birth means. Now, in order to understand this, we're going to go back to the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 7, seven centuries before Jesus was born. The prophet Isaiah prophesied about his birth. We're going to study this prophecy, and we're going to look at the story that goes along with it. I promise you, at some point in the message this morning, you're probably going to ask this question. You're probably going to ask yourself, what in the world does this have to do with Christmas? When we get to that moment, I want you to hang in there. I want you to be patient, because as we're going to see, this story has everything to do with Christmas. But how can we have hope in 2021? How can we have hope? In spite of a pandemic, in spite of all of the uncertainty and division and hostility? Well, there are two things that I want you to see about this hope that we have through the birth of Jesus Christ. First of all, it is bigger than my crisis. I want you to notice that this hope that we have through Jesus and through his birth, it is bigger than my crisis. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, 
went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. When God spoke to Isaiah about the birth of the future Messiah, it was a time of severe crisis. There was a conflict that was taking place, and there are four main characters in this conflict. There was Assyria and the king of Assyria. That was the dominant world power in the world at that time. And then you have Ahaz. He was the king of Judah. That's where Jerusalem was. King Ahaz was absolutely evil. In fact, he was so evil that 2 Kings 16 says that there, he put up a, an altar to an idol underneath every tree. The Bible tells us he even sacrificed his own son to the idol Molech. There's also Rezin, who was the king of Syria, and Pekah, the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, these two kings decided that they were going to rebel against Assyria, and they liked their chances better if Judah joined them, and the three of them came together and formed an alliance. But when Ahaz heard about that, he said, absolutely not. There's a phrase that we use sometimes, don't poke the bear. If a bear is sleeping, you leave it alone. Because if you wake the bear up, it might eat you. Well, when Ahaz heard about this plan, he was evil, but he wasn't dumb. He said, I'm not going to poke the bear of Assyria. If you guys want to pick that fight, you go ahead and do it, but you can do it without me. I don't want anything to do with it. Well, this created a problem. Because when Ahaz said, I'm not going to join you in this fool's errand, these other two kings, Rezin and Pekah, they got very angry. How angry were they? Listen to what they said they were going to do in verse 6. Let us go up against Judah and trouble it. And let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves and set a king over them, the son of Tabel. Rezin and Pekah said to Ahaz, well, if you're not going to join us in fighting the king of Assyria, then we are going to fight you. In fact, they said, we know someone that we think would make a great king of Judah. And so we're going to remove you from the throne. And we're going to put Tabel on the throne in your place. And he will join us in this fight. Now, this is that point I told you about where you were going to ask, what in the world does this have to do with Christmas? Well, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God made a promise to David. He promised David that one day the Messiah would come. One day a king would be born, a king whose throne would have no end, a king who would reign forever and ever. So obviously, this was not any kind of ordinary king. But God promised David that this future king, this future Messiah, he would be a son of David, not a son of Tabel, a son of David. 
That is why in the very first verse of the New Testament, in Matthew 1.1, Jesus is referred to as the Son of David. That's why in the very first chapter of the New Testament, Matthew 1, you have a genealogy proving that Jesus was a son of David. But of, if this plan that Rezin and Pekah have is successful, if they are able to remove Ahaz and establish another king from another line and put him on the throne, do you realize what that means? That means that God's covenant with David would be broken. It means that God's plan for saving the world would be foiled. It means that Christmas itself would be ruined seven centuries before Jesus was born. Yes, Christmas itself is at stake in this story in Isaiah chapter 7. Go back to verse 2. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Serious forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. Oh, the people heard this, and they were so scared. They were like trees being blown by the wind. We know a thing or two about that here in South Florida. Perhaps during a storm, perhaps during a hurricane, you looked outside and you saw the way the trees were almost bending over as they were blown by the wind. The Bible says that's what the people were like. There was this crisis, and they were so scared. They were so absolutely hopeless. And as we will see, God's response to this crisis was a message of hope which culminates in the promise that one day a Savior will be born. Look at verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Sheir Jashub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted, for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. God is not going to allow his plans to be ruined. So four times in verse 4, God speaks through his prophet, and he gave Ahaz a word of encouragement. He said, be still, be quiet, don't fear. In other words, trust me. Trust me to do what I said that I would do. Trust me to keep the covenant that I made with David. And God said, I want you to trust me because these two men, these two bullies, Rezin and Pekah, they are like stubs of smoking firebrands. Maybe you've been camping and you've got your uh, campfire when you first throw the wood on the fire, it's hard, but then the fire consumes it, and after a while, all that's left is that stub 
Eventually, it reaches the point where if you just barely touch it with a stick or with a twig, it falls apart into a heap of ashes. God said to Ahaz, these two men that you are so afraid of, to me, that's what they're like. Just two smoldering stubs on the fireplace. Now there's a valuable lesson here for us. I don't know what crisis you're facing this Christmas. Maybe it's the job that you don't have or the bills you can't pay. Maybe it's the marriage you can't seem to fix. Maybe it's the sickness you can't seem to get over. And whatever it is, I'm sure that to you it seems big. To you it seems insurmountable. But whatever it is to God, it's like that smoldering stub. And so if the birth of Jesus tells us anything, it tells us don't allow the stubs in your life to keep you in fear. Don't allow the stubs in your life to keep you from trusting God, to keep you from worshiping God, to keep you from serving God. They're just stubs. This hope that we have because of the birth of Jesus, it is bigger than my crisis. It's bigger than your crisis, whatever that crisis may be. But then there's something else I want you to notice about this hope that we have through his birth. It is based on God's promise. Look at verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. God is determined to save Ahaz, even though he doesn't deserve it. But God wants Ahaz to believe that he's going to save him. And so he does something unusual. He offers to give Ahaz a sign. In fact, God said, Ahaz, you can ask for any sign you want. He said, you can make it as big as you want. Just ask for a sign as confirmation that I will do what I said I will do and that I will save my people. Now, God does not always do this, and no, this does not mean that we should ask God for a sign before we are willing to believe Him, before we are willing to trust Him, but this was a very special, unique situation. Well, look at Ahaz's response in verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. It's kind of funny hearing Ahaz say, I won't test the Lord because this knucklehead tested the Lord every single day of his life. Give me a break. The real reason why he refused to ask for a sign is because he did not want to have to trust God to defeat his enemies. He wanted to solve this crisis all by himself. That's the real reason. Look at verse 13. Then he said... Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? Will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself 
will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God says, I told you to ask for a sign and you refused to do it. So I'm going to give you one anyway. And here it is. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son whom you'll call Emmanuel. This is one of the most important Christmas prophecies in all of the Old Testament. And there's something that you need to understand about this particular prophecy. Like many prophecies in the Bible, it has what we call a double fulfillment. In other words, many times there will be a prophecy and it is fulfilled in more than one way at more than one time. And first, we see that there is a near fulfillment. In other words, it is near in time. Something that God is going to do soon. On one level, this prophecy was fulfilled in Isaiah's day. Look at verse 15. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. God said a child is going to be born. A child that you'll be able to see. A child that you will be able to touch. And before that child is old enough to know the difference between right and wrong, it's, while it's still eating baby food... These two kings who threatened you, they will be gone. Now, what child is this that Isaiah and Ahaz will be able to see and touch? Obviously, this is not referring to Jesus, not the near fulfillment of this prophecy, because Jesus was born seven centuries later. What child is this in the near future? Look at verse 3, or chapter 8, verse 3. Isaiah says, Then I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, My father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be taken away before the king of Assyria. The Bible says that Isaiah was intimate with his wife. She conceived and gave birth to a son. But I want you to notice, when this son was born, Isaiah did not name him Emmanuel, because that name belonged to someone else. He called his son Maher Shalal Hashbaz. I would have loved to have given that name to one of my sons, but joy would not let me. <laughs> but before this child was old enough to say, Mommy or Daddy, God said, before that time, the king of Assyria will defeat 
and wipe out these two other kings that you are so worried about. Now, it's very obvious that the child Isaiah fathered was the near fulfillment of this prophecy. But it does not stop there. It's very clear there is also a distant fulfillment to this prophecy. When God gave Ahaz a sign, that word sign means something supernatural. It means something miraculous. Now, the birth of Isaiah's son was not really a miracle in that women give birth to sons all the time. It happens every single day. But this other birth, the one that will happen in the distant future, this one will be a miracle. Isaiah said, a virgin shall conceive. He was not talking about his wife. His wife was not a virgin. And yes, every time this word for virgin in the Hebrew is used in the singular in the Old Testament, it always refers to a virgin and never a young maiden who had lost her virginity. Isaiah said, a virgin will conceive and give birth to Emmanuel, which means God with us. And lest there be any doubt whether or not Isaiah understood the magnitude of his own prophecy, later on in verse 8, Isaiah called Yahweh by that very name. He calls God Emmanuel. And I want you to see this, the same name by which Isaiah calls God in chapter 8, that name is given to the child who will be born of a virgin in chapter 7. Isaiah didn't have all the details. And there are many things about his own prophecy that perhaps even he did not understand. But he knew that the same God Emmanuel, who spoke the world into existence, that somehow, some way, he would be born to a virgin and would be God with us. It is a miracle, and Isaiah knew that it was a miracle. It is very important that we understand that Jesus was born of a virgin because if you remove the virgin birth from the gospel, what you have left, ladies and gentlemen, is no longer the gospel. This is one of the most clearly presented doctrines in all of the Bible. And if you believe that God is omnipotent, that he is almighty, all-powerful, that nothing is impossible to him, you should not have any problem believing it. But there are many people who do believe in the virgin birth, but they really don't understand the importance of it. They don't understand why the virgin birth of Christ is absolutely essential to our faith. So before I close, I just want to share with you five implications, five things that would be true if Jesus had not been born 
of a virgin. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, that means the Gospels are not reliable. The very last verse of Matthew 1 says that Joseph did not know Mary intimately until after she gave birth to Jesus. The Gospels made it abundantly clear that Mary was a virgin. But if the Gospels were wrong on this point, then we have to ask, what else were the Gospels wrong about? If we cannot believe or trust what the Bible tells us about this point of Jesus' life, how can we trust what the Bible says about any other part of his life? If Jesus was not virgin-born, the Gospels are not reliable, but it also would mean that Jesus was wrong about his own identity. Jesus claimed to have God as his father, but if he was not virgin-born, God was not his father, Joseph was his father. And if Jesus was not virgin-born, he misspoke about who he was, and he gave false testimony about himself. If he was not virgin birth, that would also mean his birth did not fulfill prophecy and he was not the Messiah. The Bible makes it clear that the virgin birth is the indicator we are to look for when the Messiah comes. And therefore, if Jesus was not the virgin uh, born of a virgin, his birth did not fulfill prophecy, he is not the Messiah, and that means we ought to be looking for someone else. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, that would also mean he was not conceived by the Holy Spirit and he was not the Son of God. Jesus was not just a good man. He was not just a godly man. He was the God-man. Fully God and fully man. This is possible because he was born of a virgin. And one more, if Jesus was not born of a virgin and we consider all of these other implications, that leads us to one final thing. This would mean his sacrifice, when he died on the cross for us, had no value and he cannot save us. Because Jesus was born of a virgin, he was the Son of God. Because he was the Son of God, his death on the cross had value and the blood that Jesus shed for you and for me was not like any other blood. Did you know that when mothers with child, her blood is not passed on to the baby? She provides air. She provides nutrients, but not the blood. That's why a baby can have a completely different blood type from that of his or her mother. So let me ask you a question. If the blood doesn't come from the mother, where did Jesus' blood come from? You know the Bible answers that question? In Acts chapter 20, Paul was speaking to the pastors in the churches at Ephesus and encouraging them. He told them, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Whose blood? The Bible says it was God's blood. The very blood that ran through Jesus' veins was the very blood of God. And when he died on the cross, it was the blood of God that was shed for you and for me. And yes, that's why the virgin birth matters.
Now, these five things would have been true if Jesus had not been born of a virgin, but he was born of a virgin, and therefore, we can take each of these statements and we can turn them around. And we can say, because he was born of a virgin, yes, the Gospels are reliable. And yes, Jesus did speak the truth about who he claimed to be. And his birth did fulfill prophecy. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And his death on the cross paid the price for you and for me so that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. When my oldest son Jesse was much younger, he had a friend at school who was born with sickle cell anemia, a deadly disease, and he needed a bone marrow transplant in order to live. They looked and they looked, and a donor could not be found. It came to the point where the doctor said to the family, there's only one option left. If they were to have another child, there would be a 50% chance that that child would be compatible and be able to donate the blood ma bone marrow necessary to save the life of his or her older brother. But there was also a chance that their child would be born with the same disease and both of their children would die. So they had a great decision that they had to make. They prayed about it after a while. They decided to try to have a second child. And the Lord blessed them. In fact, God blessed them with twins. Both of them were compatible. And yes, those twin babies later donated the bone marrow which saved the life of their older brother. A boy was dying. His only hope was the birth of a child who would save him. Sound familiar? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And our only hope, and what is still today the only hope for this world around us, is the birth of a child, Jesus, who came from heaven to earth, was born of a virgin in a manger, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose again to save you and me. And that is why we have hope today. Would you join me as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came at just the right time and in just the right way. And prophecy was fulfilled and a virgin conceived and Jesus was miraculously born. And He was both the Son of God and the Son of Man. And He lived and He died on the cross and He rose again so that whosoever will believe in Him, whosoever will confess Him as Lord, will be saved. 
And we thank you, God, that because of that, because of what you did 2,000 years ago, we can have hope today no matter what is happening in this world around us, no matter what kind of crisis we might be going through. We thank you that the birth of Jesus reminds us that you are bigger than every crisis and every obstacle in our lives. And yes, you are a promise-keeping God. And so, Father, would you help us this morning to base our lives on the promises you've given us in your word. And Father, I pray for any that are here this morning or any who are watching online who have yet to come to that point of surrendering their hearts and their lives to Jesus Christ and placing their faith in him. When Ahaz was given the opportunity to believe, he refused to do so. But God, I pray for that man or woman or that young person here today who needs to take that step of faith that they would be willing to place their faith in Christ and they would call upon him as Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this message, for this encouragement, and for this hope that we have through Jesus Christ. Help all of us, everyone here, to know how you would have us to respond to your word today and help us to take this hope that we have through Jesus Christ and share it with a hopeless world around us. And we pray all of these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. If you're here today, there's never been that point in your life where you became a follower of Christ, where you can honestly say that you made that decision and said, I will follow him as Lord of my life. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That means saved from your sins, saved from judgment, saved from hell. You will be saved. And if you've never taken that step, I would encourage you, don't wait. Don't leave this room here today without Jesus Christ. Come to me after the service and say, Pastor, I'm ready. I need to take that step. I need to be saved. I want to follow Christ. We'll pray together 